Section 25 of The World War. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Thomas Peter. The World Story, Volume 15. The World War. Edited by Horatio W. Dresser. Section 25. Cayette Wood. An episode of Verdun. The fiercest struggle on the sector between Dumont and Vaux was that which raged around Cayette Wood in the early days of April. Eyewitnesses describe it as one of the most thrilling episodes in the whole great series of battles. The importance of the position lay in the fact that if the Germans could keep it, they could force the French to abandon the entire ridge. The heroic deeds on both sides in the French recapture of this ground are narrated by a staff correspondent in the following remarkable story, under date of April 4th. The Germans had taken Cayette on Sunday morning, April 2nd, after twelve hours' bombardment, which seemed even to beat the Verdun record for intensity. The French curtain fire had checked their further advance, and a savage countercharge in the early afternoon had gained for the defenders a corpse-strewn welter of splintered trees and shell-shattered ground that had been the southern corner of the wood. Further charges had broken against a massive barricade, the value of which as a defence paid good interest on the expenditure of German lives which its construction demanded. A wonderful work had been accomplished that Sunday forenoon in the livid, London-like fog and twilight produced by the lowering clouds and battle-smoke. While the German assault columns in the van fought the French hand-to-hand, picked corps of workers behind them formed an amazing human chain from the woods to the east over the shoulder of the centre of the Domont slope to the crossroads of a network of communication trenches six hundred yards in the rear. Four deep was his chain, and along its line of nearly three thousand men passed an unending stream of wooden billets, sandbags, chevaux de frise, steel shelters, and light mitrailleuses, in a word, all the material for defensive fortifications, like buckets at a country fire. Despite the hurricane of French artillery fire, the German commander had adopted the only possible means of rapid transport of the shell-torn ground, covered with debris, over which neither horse nor cart could go. Every moment counted. Unless barriers rose swiftly, the French counter-attacks, already massing, would sweep the assailants back into the wood. Cover was disdained. The workers stood at full height, and the chain stretched openly across the hollows and hillocks, a fair target for the French gunners. The latter missed no chance. Again and again great rents were torn in the line by the bursting melanite, but as coolly as at manoeuvres the iron-disciplined soldiers of Germany sprang forward from shelters to take the places of the fallen, and the work went apace. Gradually another line doubled the chain of the workers, as the upheaved corpses formed a continuous embankment, each additional dead man giving greater protection to his comrades, until the barrier began to form shape along the diameter of the wood. There others were digging and burying logs deep into the earth, installing shelters and mitrailleuses, or feverishly building fortifications. At last the work was ended at fearful cost, but as the vanguard sullenly withdrew behind it, from the whole length burst a havoc of flame upon the advancing Frenchmen. Vainly the latter dashed forward. They could not pass, and as the evening fell, the barrier still held, covering the German working parties, burrowing like moles in the maze of trenches and boyaux. 
So solid was the barricade, padded with sandbags and earthworks, that the artillery fire fell practically unavailing, and the French general realized that the barrier must be breached by explosives as in Napoleon's battles. It was eight o'clock, and already pitch dark in that blighted atmosphere as a special blasting corps, as devoted as the German chain workers, crept forward toward the German position. The rest of the French waited, sheltered in the ravine east of Dumont, until an explosion should signal the assault. In Indian file, to give the least possible sign of their presence to the hostile sentinels, the blasting corps advanced in a long line, at first with comparative rapidity, only stiffening into the grotesque rigidity of simulated death when the searchlights played upon them, and resuming progress when the beam shifted. Then, as they approached the barrier, they moved slowly and more slowly. When they arrived within fifty yards, the movement of the crawling men became imperceptible. The German star shells and sentinels surpassed the searchlights in vigilance. The blasting corps lay at full length, just like hundreds of other motionless forms about them, but all were working busily. With a short trowel, each file leader scuffled the earth from under the body, taking care not to raise his arms, and gradually making a shallow trench deep enough to hide him. The others followed his example until the whole line had sunk below the surface. Then the leader began scooping gently forward while his followers deepened the furrow already made. Thus literally, inch by inch, the file stole forward, sheltered in a narrow ditch from the gusts of German mitrailleuse fire that constantly swept the terrain. Here and there the sentinel's eye caught a suspicious movement, and an incautiously raised head sank down, pierced by a bullet but the stealthily mole-like advance continued. Hours passed. It was nearly dawn when the remnant of the blasting corps reached the barricade at last, and hurriedly put their explosives in position. Back they wriggled breathlessly. An over-hasty movement meant death, yet they must needs hurry lest the imminent explosions overwhelm them. Suddenly there comes a roar that dwarfs the cannonade, and along the barrier fountains of fire rise skyward, hurling a rain of fragments upon what was left of the blasting party. The barricade was breached, but seventy-five percent of the devoted corps had given their lives to do it. As the survivors lay exhausted, the attackers charged over them, cheering. In the melee that followed, there was no room to shoot or wield the rifle. Some of the French fought with unfixed bayonets, like the stabbing swords of the Roman legions. Others had knives or clubs. All were battle-frenzied, as only Frenchmen can be. The Germans broke, and as the first rays of dawn streaked the sky, only a small northern section of the wood was still in their hands. There a similar barrier stopped progress, and it was evident that the night's work must be repeated. But the hearts of the French soldiers were leaping with victory as they dug furiously to consolidate the ground they had gained. End of section 25 this recording is in the public domain.